Today I'm going to talk to you about two lost people, two lost sons, two lost brothers. And these two lost people represent the human race in its lostness. And when I say lostness, I'm referring to the spiritual lostness that Scripture captures in words like dead, darkness, blind, calloused, hard-hearted, and alienated from God. This is the situation all human beings find themselves in from birth. Whether you're rich or poor, book smart or illiterate, healthy or weak, we humans are lost and estranged from God, straying from Him from day one. This is the situation. But the beautiful claim of the Christian church is that there's hope for a world of lost people. The hope isn't found in ourselves, but outside of us, in the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, who doesn't leave humanity in its lost state, but who calls people out of their lostness into a relationship of love with Him, based on His grace through faith. He's, among other things, the good shepherd, after all, who gave His life for the lost sheep that He came to seek and save. This morning we're going to meditate on a story that may be familiar territory for many of you. It's commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. But today we're going to consider both sons. Because as we'll see, the story, the parable, is about two sons and a father. And I think we'll be surprised to see that both sons provide mirrors and pictures into the heart of human lostness. And... In this parable, I think it also provides a vivid picture of the heart of God towards lost people everywhere and throughout all time. To get a handle on the story, we should start with considering the context, because I think the context is going to be vital for us to understand the point of the text. And the context comes out in Luke 15, verses 1 to 2. This is the context of the parable. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, that is Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus speaks three parables in Luke 15 to them, explaining his joy over finding the lost. The parables showcase God the Father's love towards the lost in this world. And they show God the Son as the friend of tax collectors and sinners, the outcasts and outsiders in society. He is a Savior who expresses mercy by welcoming the outcasts and needy from the fringes of society into his life and love. And the heart of the Christian message and the heart of God is expressed in these verses. But here's a situation in front of Jesus. The religious leaders are grumbling. They're whining. They don't see the reason to be joyful over the lost being found. In fact, they're actually upset. They're whining that Jesus is inviting the sinners of his day to come to him. He's loving and sharing his food with these shady people, folding them into his very life. They're outraged. He's he's loving and sharing himself with them. He's embracing the crooks, the cons, and the addicts in society. And these religious leaders are complaining and refuse to rejoice over Jesus saving these people. And their response shows that they're not devoted to God's way of salvation. 
They're not devoted to God's plan of salvation through Christ. And while there are many interesting twists in this parable, a surprising part is that Jesus is actually directing these parables towards the Pharisees and scribes in front of him. And the point of his teaching is for them to join him and celebrate the lost being found and forgiven in Christ. And while this is often seen as a beautiful story of God's amazing grace towards the younger son, which it is, you'll see that this parable is also a strong rebuke against the religious leaders represented by the older son. Now, before we go further, we might ask, why were so many of Jesus' strongest rebukes in Scripture aimed against the Pharisees of his day? What's the big deal? I've been reading the Gospels and wondering this for years. Maybe you have too. And recently in one of my classes, Ed Welch explained it in a loaded statement. He said this, The Pharisees in Jesus' day were Pharaoh-like in their approach to people. Pharaoh-like. You remember Pharaoh? They were spiritual leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the scribes. And yet they abused their authority, their positions of leadership. They were spiritual oppressors, preventing people from going and being free to worship God. Think of Pharaoh. Why was he so evil? He wouldn't let God's people go freely to serve the Lord, right? He held God's people down and he, he wouldn't let them worship him. And when Jesus came on the scene in this world, he came to set the captives free. He came to liberate those who were in bondage. He said his truth set men free. But these religious leaders in his day kept people down, not letting them go to serve God through Christ. They're starting to see the, the reality behind the Pharisees' wickedness. Today's text has the Pharisees, the scribes, and anyone like them as a target audience. Those who cringe and refuse to rejoice when messed up people find their place in God's family. Those who say, I wish they weren't here today. And I think we'll see that God's heart doesn't cringe at messed up people coming to Jesus. Rather, He celebrates and He calls on us to join Him in celebrating their return. When the prodigals come home, we are to rejoice. And the parable captures the lostness of humanity and God's grace in precise and moving ways. And that's because it shows us that the Lord Jesus pursues lost rebels who've turned their backs on him. The Lord Jesus actually pursues lost rebels who've turned their backs on him. Let's start with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the fact that your word is clear about your grace and that all of us here stand in need of it. So I pray that your spirit would work and serve that good news to each of our hearts in ways that we need it desperately. And may each of us see the call of Scripture to celebrate the return of lost people. And may each of us see our own need to return to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to look at Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. So turn with me there if you have a Bible. And in this parable, the younger son represents the tax collectors and sinners of Jesus' day. And we can draw a connection in our own day to those whose lives are shameless. 
They're the shameless rebels to society. They're marked by their badness. They're immoral, self-indulgent sinners. They pursue worldly pleasure upon impulse. And as we read the parable, we may see ourselves in this younger son. And that's intentional because God wants to speak to each of us. And he represents many of us in our lostness. He serves as a mirror for us in our own lost ways. And by contrast, the older son represents the Pharisees and scribes of Jesus' day, and we can draw connection in our own day to those who are blameless in society. So you have the shameless and the blameless. The, uh, the blameless are marked by their goodness. They're the moral, they're the responsible, they're the religious and respected, maybe even leaders in the community. They're always right, it seems. And many of us may see ourselves in the older son. And that's intentional. Because God wants to speak to us. And he provides, the older son that is, provides an example of the elder brother lostness. Both brothers represent us in our lostness with no leg to stand on before God. The two brothers don't represent the lost and the found. To start, they represent two different types of lostness that stand for all human lostness, both in need of God's grace through Jesus. The younger brother and those like him, like the sinners of Jesus' day, find it impossible to keep their noses clean. The older brother and those like him, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, find it impossible not to look down their noses at the other sinners. But please look for the personal connections with both brothers. Which one are you most like? Which brother speaks to you and speaks of you? Look for yourself in the parable. Scripture is like a mirror, isn't it? And those of us who Jesus has found in our lost state find ourselves written into this story. It's our story and it sings to us as much as it speaks about us. So let's get into the story. Well, the first thing we see in this text is that the Lord Jesus pursues lost rebels who've turned their backs on him by pursuing immorality. All right, the story starts with a father and his two sons. And now we're being brought into the heavenly father's heart towards the lost. Look at verse 11, where Jesus says, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So the younger son is likely a teenager at this time. He, he makes an uncommon request of his father. He wants his inheritance now, before his dad dies. This was not normal, and some Jewish writings discourage this kind of discussion from even happening. But either way, the father, who was a landowner, which means that he was well off, grants the request of his son and lets his youngest son have the property. And what does the son do with the inheritance? Verse 13 says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Squandered or wasted his property in reckless living. Now we're starting to see the heart behind the son's request, which also shows us what lostness looks like. The younger son gathered all, likely meaning he converted the land that he was given into cash, and he goes on a trip to a far-off country. 
His father's life and influence are dead to him now. Later in the story, we hear that he wasted his money on prostitutes, pursuing forbidden fleshly impulses. This son's lostness comes out in self-indulgence. He severed the ties with his family so he could go wild in the flesh. And he did. He wasted his property on reckless living. To translate this to our day and age, we might say he blew the wad on a bender. He went out, got high, got drunk, went clubbing, charged his credit cards till they were maxed out. And this spending of his reveals what he worships, right? He's all about him, his self. And this boy was bent on sinful passions. Then he found himself out of money and in a crisis. Look at verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So the place he's living in now is experiencing a famine. It's depressed like him, but he sees now that he has a need. So what does he do? Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So after he threw his money away, he learned his lesson and he got a job, which was a humbling thing to do because he had to work among pigs, which is unthinkable in the Jewish mind. To work among pigs meant you had to touch pigs. And pigs were considered unclean to Jews. Some would have even considered working with pigs a curse. And the Pharisees, remember the audience that Jesus is speaking to, the Pharisees who Jesus was speaking to would have been repulsed by this reference. It appears that this young boy left his country to party and is now in the Gentile or unbelieving world He's long gone from his people, his father, and his nation. He's cut off his connection with God. And he's traveled a far distance to get away from him and his accountability. And the picture is clear now. This young boy is lost. He's truly lost. And now he's even looking at the pig slop, and it's starting to look appetizing to him. He's experiencing a loneliness and a detachment from everything familiar and friendly, even wholesome. Even his worldly friends seemed to have deserted him at this point. No one gave him anything. When the money ran out, the friends ran out too. And now he's left to face the music all by himself. He's in a dark world and it looks like nobody cares about him. And here's a picture of lost men and women everywhere. The story shows us that when we're lost in our sin, we lose the sensibilities and connections to the relationships that matter most in life, right? By our own choice of pursuing sin, we've cut ourselves off from many people and the blessings of God in our life. And we experience an abandonment, pain, and shame for our sin. This is a picture of your lostness and mine. It's a picture of us in our sin turning away from God to pursue pleasure, passions, worldly indulgences. It appears to be rock bottom for this guy. He thought he would feel better by indulging in sin. But his sin reduced him to a fool and brought him to the end of himself. His sin 
comes back to haunt him. Now, against this dark background, we get a ray of hope that delights as much as it surprises. And we get a fresh encounter with grace. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So the son came to himself, or as some translations say, he came to his senses. He snaps out of his drunken stupor and he sobers up. And his thoughts are drawn to his father. He thinks to himself, here I am starving, almost ready to eat this pig slop. Yet even my father's servants are doing well and eating well. I'll tell my dad that I've sinned against him and against heaven. Though I'm not worthy to be called his son, father, just treat me like one of your other servants and I'll be fine. The younger son seems to be understanding that though he's sinned against his father, he's also, and most importantly, sinned against the God of heaven. Which reminds us that all relational breaks are first and foremost a relational break against God. It looks like his spiritual lights are coming on. He's not blaming others for his sin. He's owning his sin. He even sees that he doesn't deserve his father's love. It looks like we're seeing a godly sorrow leading to repentance. And now watch for the father's response. Let's keep reading verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is over the top. Now we're looking at the heart of God towards lost people. While the lost son is on his way back, maybe even working on his confession, the father sees him, implying that he was looking for him. He was seeking him out, and his father felt compassion and ran and embraced him. Before he could even explain himself with his, his speech, he was wrapped up into his father's arms, embraced. Back in that day, a landowner would be too distinguished in the culture to do such things, which shows us that this father was moved not by what others thought of him or what was socially normal, but by his love for his son. He ran and embraced his son and poured his love on him, a display of reckless love. Just like the son was reckless going over the top in his worldly pursuits, this father was reckless going over the top in his pursuit of his worldly son. And how did they reunite? Look at verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer to be, uh, worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Just when we expect to hear the younger son being reamed out by his father, he's fully embraced, welcomed in, even celebrated. The son doesn't even get to finish his confession. His father stops him short by honoring him, welcoming him, celebrating him, blessing him, and clothing his son. He's putting him into a place of privilege as a son. Though he was clearly living a reckless life, the father is filled with joy to have his son back home. Can you believe this story? 
He even asked his servants to serve this son and clothe him, treating him as royalty. Getting him clothed for the occasion to celebrate his return. Can you see the gospel here? The robe, the ring, the shoes, the feast of a fattened calf are all symbols of honor, of sonship, of restoration and celebration. We have all the reason in the world to believe that this was a feast that looked like a happy family reunion. You ever been at a happy family reunion? The occasion for this happy family reunion was a returning son. The celebration is stated clearly in verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Here's the happy atmosphere of celebration. A celebration prompted by the return of a lost rebel. So let me be clear. All of humanity is lost in rebellion and has turned against the triune God. And lost rebels are unworthy of God's grace. But when God lavishes His grace upon the unworthy, and when they come to their senses, repenting and believing in Jesus as their only way out of sin and misery, we cannot help but celebrate. The people of God must continue and join in the celebration. We who believe are moved to praise God for His mercy and grace again. Just like heaven rejoices at one sinner who repents, these present, those present to witness the spectacle of a returning son rejoice as well. So when the spiritually dead are brought to life in the church community, we church must celebrate. When the spiritually lost are found, we who have experienced God's grace cannot help ourselves from praising Him. We ponder anew what the Almighty can do and we stand in awe that He's still seeking and saving the lost. Since God the Father has sought and saved us in our lostness, we have to celebrate when He does the same to others. Because salvation is no small thing, friend. He puts his whole life into saving us, doesn't he? He puts his whole life on the line, his whole self, to bring us back to himself, back home. He spends himself for us to be rich. Even so, Christ did the same for us. Christ was forsaken, cut off from the Father to say welcome home to us lost people. The father gave, spent, sacrificed, and took the loss of his son so he could welcome us home as sons. The Lord rejoices to spend and be spent for reckless sinners like us who repent and return to him. He brings us all the way home. So let me ask you, have you returned to him? Have you come to your senses and repented of your sin? If you're lost today, Jesus is seeking you. Some of you are here today because you're starting university or college. You're looking at this as an opportunity, much like the younger son's journey. You're moving away from family and everything familiar, and you might be thinking, it's party time. No more rules. I get to go and do what I want. And those thoughts may be indicating that you're lost just like this son. Don't look for life in worldly pleasures. Jesus is the life you need most. Come to Jesus and be lost no more. 
So the high note of the parable is found in verse 24. The younger son is the, who once was lost is found and welcomed home. He's returned to his father, his family, his home, and his land. This is the occasion for celebration and joy. God's amazing grace has rushed him and hunted him down, and he's swept up into his joy. The reunion of the lost son has begun. But that's not the end of the parable. In fact, there's another surprising twist here. And now it will be helpful to remember that this story has a point and an audience. Remember that Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders who were angry that he welcomed sinners. And now we see that the rest of the parable is actually aiming at them. They refuse to celebrate the return of repenting sinners, like the tax collectors and sinners of his day. Much like the older son refused to celebrate the return of his brother. Like him, they complained about grace. And yet again, this story is showing us how God even pursues them. The elder brother types in their lostness. Next we see the Lord Jesus pursues lost rebels who've turned their backs on him by pursuing morality. Look at verse 25. Now his older son was in the fields, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now the story turns its focus onto the older son. The older son was in the field and heard music and saw people dancing, so he came back to the house to find out what was going on. And the servant, he asked, told him, Your your younger brother is back safe and sound now, so your father has thrown a party in his honor. And his response says it all. He doesn't join the party and celebrate. Rather, he, watch what he does. Verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat. That that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened fattened calf for him. So the elder brother is embittered. And he represents those who have turned their backs on God, not in pursuit of reckless living, but in pursuit of their own religious or moral accomplishments. These are the kind of people like the Pharisees who make themselves feel better by stressing that they're better than others. They feel better when they consider how much smarter, how much cleaner, how much holier, how much more righteous they are than others. They look down their nose at others. And like this son, they refuse to go into the father's heart. They refuse to join him in celebrating the return of a lost son. They refuse and protest against salvation God's way. They think salvation for big-time sinners like murderers and criminals seems unfair. All the while, they're blind to their own lostness and rebellion against God. In their self-importance, self-aggrandizement, they can't see that they've cut themselves off from God. They're lost like the younger brother is, but in a different way than him. 
Instead of breaking the rules, they prefer to keep the rules and point the finger at the rule breakers. Instead of joining his father in the celebration, the older brother is outraged that this father would actually welcome his son back. I can't believe that you would extend mercy to that person. Now verse 29 shows the elder brother's true colors towards his father which captures the Pharisee's heart attitude towards God and salvation. He actually thinks, like the religious leaders did, that he never disobeyed the Father's commands. He actually thinks that he's a perfectly obedient son. This is the language of entitlement and self-salvation. And here is an interesting note to see, is that you can rebel against God by doing all the good things. The elder brother is avoiding God, resisting his grace by staying out of trouble, by keeping all the rules. This is the moralistic way of life, the religious way of life. Shockingly, this way of living looks good, but it is contrary to faith and grace. It is contrary to God's way of salvation that accepts, I am a sinner, I need grace. It refuses to believe in God's way and plan of salvation. It's the tendency of the older brother types to cling to their own goodness and forsake Jesus. But none of us who were found by Jesus in our lostness earned our way to salvation. But this son makes it sound like he did everything perfectly. Here's a picture of dead religion for God without a relationship with the living God. But now we're amazed once again at the father's response to this son. We may be outraged at the disrespect this son is showing his father, but this father represents God the father who is patient. He doesn't scold him or shame him for his self-righteousness. Rather, he keeps the door of his heart open to him, even the older son. Look at what he says in verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Verse 32 in some translations says we had to celebrate. It was was what we had to do. The point is when the lost are found, we're led to rejoice. It's like a knee-jerk reaction for God's people. The right response is to celebrate. The wrong response is to whine and complain and grumble that those sinners are in here. The Father's affection, compassion, mercy, and love are extended to his older brother here too. The offer of his grace, he offers his own self to this son. The offer of grace is here. And by extension, we can see that this is the point where Jesus is inviting those standing right in front of him to come to him as well. In essence, this is the point he leaves with them. The Pharisees are called to come to Jesus as sinners who need him, just like the younger brother and the tax collectors and sinners are. And so do we, who might be like the older or the younger sons in our lostness. Religious Moral and uptight people not living in relationship with God through Christ need him too. And the way to come to him is by following his plan of salvation, which is humbling. Bringing spiritually lost and dead people to life. Admitting 
that we need him. Once they see that they're lost too, they can come and join the celebration. And they will join the celebration once they see that they're lost and need Jesus and repent and believe. But the invitation seems to be lost on them, the Pharisees, at this point in time at least, much like it is lost on this older brother. As verses 28 to 30 show us, the older brother was angry at his father, and he states all the reasons that this party should actually be for him. He says basically, this makes no sense, Dad. The one who sold his inheritance and hooked up with prostitute comes, uh, hooks up with prostitutes comes back to you, and you celebrate and honor him? Is there no need for discipline here? Why are you rejoicing and celebrating him? The father's response goes, son, there's no need for anger or embitterment. I've always been with you. And everything that I have is yours. I'll share it with you too. So why not celebrate with me? Your brother was as good as dead. And now he's safe and sound back home. Come, let's eat. Let's celebrate. But the older brother refuses to go in. My study Bible says his anger and refusal to participate in the family banquet parallels the attitude of the Jewish religious leaders who despise including tax collectors and sinners with God's people. The open-ending call to celebrate and be glad becomes a call for these leaders to repent and participate in this banquet with their younger brother. And the story ends... And we're forced to consider which son describes us right now. And, which, uh, and what, what we're going to do with Jesus. And the offer of grace is found here as well. Well, the younger son and everyone like him needs to repent of his sin and come to Jesus. The older son and everyone like him need to repent of their morality and come to Jesus. Yes, both our sin and our self-righteousness keep us away from the heart of God. So which son are you most like today? How do you need to respond today? To believe, to repent and believe in Jesus is to be embraced by the Father. So have you returned and been welcomed home into his love, into his life? God the Father opens his heart wide to the world of lost rebels by sending his son to die in their place. He raised him from the dead and gives new life by lavishing his love on unworthy people who believe in him. And every one of us who believe are unworthy. Immoral and moral men and women anywhere can be found only in Jesus. Turning to him, we too can be found. The story has shown us two different ways of being lost. The religious way or the reckless way. The way of worldly passions and pleasures or the way of self-righteousness and self-righteous accomplishments. Those of us who struggle in younger brother ways, like the tax collectors of Jesus' day, need to be conv convinced that God's grace is enough for us. Yes, even us. Even though we've lived a reckless life, we, by repenting and believing in Jesus, can be cleansed and brought right in. As sons. And those of us who struggle in older brother ways, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, need to be convinced that God's grace is actually needed for us. We too need to repent and even repent of our self righteousness. 
All of us by nature are lost. All of us need grace and need to repent. And when we do, we'll be swept up into the Father's grace, embraced by him. So have you come to your senses and embraced Jesus yet? If not, today's a good day to do so. His grace is enough for you too. Were you once lost, but now you're found? If so, it's fitting for us as a church to celebrate and be glad in the Lord who seeks and saves us, lost people even, like us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you that the message of your Son is a welcome and invitation to come. It is come to Jesus and be saved. Come to Jesus and be cleansed. Come to Jesus and be found and forgiven. And Lord, we recognize as a church that we are a bunch of people whom you have saved. And we are called to continue to spread this message of your salvation through Christ. So Lord, as we begin this fall and look forward to the many things in our schedule, we ask that you would etch in our hearts a desire to see more people come to Jesus and celebrate that you are continually sharing your love with them. And we will celebrate in Jesus' name. Amen.